Good morning. I, uh, I am well aware that God wants to speak to each one of us this morning. And I don't plan to use the Word of God as a backdrop for what I want to say. I want to present the truth and reveal what God says. Uh, hopefully I'm just the messenger, just the delivery boy. Uh, when God has spoken, we must make uh, choices about our lives, how we're going to live in light of what He says. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read four verses today, verses 13 through 16, and please stand with me for God's Word. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, For he has prepared a city for them. And Lord God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have told you this before, and I'm going to say it again, but my grandpa, Shara, was an Italian immigrant. And um, if I've talked to you about my Italian heritage at all, you know that I am almost sinfully proud of my Italian background. In fact, I'm half Italian. I wish I was 100%. But um, my grandpa, Shara, his name was Michael Shara. He was born in 1898 in Bari, Italy. And he came to America when he was 15 years old with his cousin, uh, Tony Mumolo. Tony or Joseph, I can't remember which one. His last name was Mumolo. And he came here to make a life. He came here to find his way. His two brothers were already here. They were in Chicago. And his first job was working in a meatpacking plant. And he would bring his paychecks home to his brothers, and they would take his paychecks. And uh, for his room and board, I guess. But anyway, at one point, he made his way across America. He basically worked on farms all the way across until he got to San Diego. At one point, somewhere in the Midwest, there was a farmer that... that, uh, uh, wanted to take him in, and he was a young guy, you know, 16, 17 years old, and they wanted to take him in and send him to school and have him live with their family. And my dad told me that he, he uh, my grandfather used to say, I wonder what my life would have turned out like if I would have stayed there and done that. But as it is, he found his way to, to San Diego. When he was about 25 years old, he, he went to night school and became an American citizen. He learned the language and um, he was an immigrant all the way, though. Thick Italian accent, a broken English, unaccustomed to American customs, even when I knew him in, later in his life. Uh, but immigrants seek a better country, and that's what my grandpa did. He sought a better country. Immigrants do that to survive, but they often miss their homeland greatly. Though they wouldn't go back, they miss their place of birth. They miss their fatherland. But like immigrants on their way to somewhere else, Christians are to live here seeking heaven. Living here seeking heaven. Now most of us live somewhere in Orange County, right? Orange, 
Tustin, Westminster, Garden Grove, your Belinda, Corona, maybe even Irvine. Uh, all of us live in America. At least I think we're all American citizens here, or at least uh, American residents. Um, but life here must be lived in our earthly cities and countries with a view towards somewhere else, in light of a better heavenly country. And that country will be experienced sometime future, not right now. It's all a part of the life of faith. We must set our sights on the eternal rather than the temporal, but the temporal is what we see. The temporal is what we can touch and hold and and buy and, and consume. Well, in this passage of Scripture for today, we see what it's like to live in light of eternity. To live in light of something more beyond what's here. The listing of the exemplary people of faith that the author of Hebrews has been going through is interrupted for a moment uh, as the writer comments on the condition of the patriarchs as strangers in a strange land. My grandpa, Shara, he was a stranger in a strange land. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, strangers, aliens, sojourners. Immigrants. We see the author pausing in the middle of his person-by-person account of the faithful to focus on some things that he wants the Hebrews to to latch on to. He speaks informatively to them, but he also speaks pastorally. He speaks from his heart to them, and he addresses the current crisis that they were facing. They were weary of facing persecution for their faith. They were tempted to go back to the old ways, the old days rather than forward in their faith. So what does it mean to live in light of eternity? What does it mean to live now, seeking heaven later? What does it mean to live as strangers in a strange land? Well, first, what it takes is an honest confession. An honest confession of our true condition. Verse 13 tells us that all these died in faith. Who are all these? Well, it couldn't be Enoch. Enoch didn't die. So who was the all these? All these is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, and, their, and those with them, their families and their households, their people. Uh, they all died in faith as they lived in faith. They died as they lived. They all died literally according to faith. According to faith. See, faith was the operating principle in their life from the time of their justification by faith till the time of their death. All the way through. And yeah, they had their moments of, uh, of wavering, they had their moments of doubt, they had their moments of, of maybe backsliding for a moment, but they kept going in faith. They died in faith, and it showed in their last words to their sons. In fact, right here in Hebrews 11, verse 20, <clears throat> by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come, future. Faith-oriented. And then, verse 21, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. They looked forward to something else. But it says that they died without receiving the promises. But what promises didn't they receive? I mean, Abraham received the promised son. You know, they had the little slip-up with the Ishmael thing, and... But they received the promised son, Isaac. 
So what promises did they not receive? They had the miraculous birth. But there was something else. What else were they promised? They were promised land. Promised land. But see what happened. Neither Abraham, nor Isaac, nor Jacob ever possessed the promised land. They lived there. They did not possess. They didn't possess. In fact, Israel did not begin to possess Canaan for almost 500 years after the death of Jacob. They lived permanently as strangers and aliens in the promised land. The promised land remained a promised land to them throughout their lives, to the end of their lives. And it says in verse 13 that having seen it, they welcomed it from afar. It it gives the picture of uh, literally they greeted or saluted the promised land from afar. It's like people on a ship passing by, yelling to their friends on land, but they're not stopping. And the writer of Hebrews wanted to strengthen the confession of their faith, their hope. So he used this analogy of a confession. Now the patriarchs, though, uh, made a negative confession. that They were strangers and aliens. Uh, Now, the Hebrew Christians made a positive confession regarding Christ's work regarding God's action in Jesus. And because of their confession, they became what the patriarchs were. Aliens. Sojourners. Strangers. Immigrants. The patriarchs confessed that they didn't really belong. That they didn't really belong where they were. They were strangers. They were exiles. Uh, Remember verse 9 opened up this idea of living as an alien. They're talking about Abraham. He said, by faith, Abraham lived as an alien. That's kind of when we think of alien. You know, we think of all the space movies and the sci-fi stuff and all that, right? An alien is someone who dwells alongside of or or among others. Uh, We think of illegal aliens even. But the idea here is that a foreigner who's an alien dwells in a place without rights of citizenship. They're alienated from their culture at times because they don't know the culture. But they're also alienated from their true home, where they came from. Now verse 13 says they're strangers. Different word. Strangers. And in Bible times, people looked down upon strangers. They, they hated them. They had contempt for them. They were suspicious of them. You ever been suspicious of a stranger that comes into town, you know? Or the old westerns, you know, the stranger comes into town, they're all looking at him like, what's he up to? Well, they were strangers. And then in verse 13, we also see that they were exiles. Another word, a different word. But they, exiles are those who are separated from their true home. They're all similar words. But what, what they were confessing to when they said, we're strangers, we're, we're exiles, they were stating fact. But they were also stating the intention that they would live according to that fact. They were admitting and accepting that they had no lasting home here. That's what they confessed. That's what they readily admitted to. And they were basically saying, you know, we're not from around these parts. It's not us. Now, it's easy to identify someone who's not from around here, right? At different parts of America, you can tell by their, their accent. Texas, Tennessee, you know, go up into Boston, New York. They even say Californians have accents. Can you believe that? 
I don't know what that's all about. But the patriarchs, they recognized and accepted their status as pilgrims. And Abraham, when he was seeking one place on earth, the one place he owned, this burial ground, when he was seeking that burial ground, here's what he said to the, the sons of Heth when he was asking them for a place. He said, I'm a stranger. I'm a sojourner with you. That's what I am. And that was his, that was his confession. And the patriarchs could readily admit to their true condition because they were seeking a better country. Not the one that they were promised, even. Verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, They who say such things, say what things? That they're strangers and aliens. That they're exiles. Those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a country of their own. They were seeking their homeland. The word here, country, is the Greek word patris. It's the word fatherland, of the land of one's father. What were they seeking? They were seeking heaven. Heaven, the dwelling place of our heavenly father. And the Hebrews had experienced some real alienation. Speaking of being aliens, they had been alienated. And they could expect to experience it again. Remember in Hebrews 10, verse 32, the writer says, Remember the former days? When after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You showed sympathy to the prisoners. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. A better possession, a lasting one. They were seeking their homeland. They were seeking their country. And if they, verse 15 says, had been seeking the country they came from, they could have gone back. There was no way they were going back to Ur of the Chaldeans. No way. That's what Abraham even said. (laughs) Don't take me back there. Don't go back. Don't go back there even to find a wife for my son. They didn't have a, a desire to go back to Ur, even though they were pilgrims in Canaan. Why? And why did they not shrink back, as Hebrews 10, 38 and 39 says? Why did they endure by faith? Well, verse 16 tells us, because they desired a better country, a better one. Better is a favorite word in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews loves that word. Uh, He talked about Jesus being better than angels and Moses and Aaron and and Joshua. He talked about the cross of Christ being better, uh, giving us a better hope, providing us a better hope and a better covenant, a better promise, a better sacrifice, a better possession. And here in verse 16, a better country. Later on in this chapter, a better resurrection, a better provision. But better is one of those favorite words. And it says they desire a better. Desire means just what it sounds like. You, you reach after something. You, you stretch yourself out towards getting something. You aspire to. It means to intensely long for something spiritual or heavenly. They desired something better. Better means nobler, stronger, better in essence. They desired the heavenly country that was better than either Canaan or Chaldea. See, their homeland was not on earth. But see, you, we like to say, like Dorothy said, there's no place like home. I want to go back. I remember flying back from, uh, to America on uh, many occasions from overseas and just not, couldn't wait to, to touch 
put my feet on American soil. I just want to be back home. Partially because of what was waiting for me. My wife and kids and all that. But partially just to be home. It's like when you're coming back from vacation. The horse is heading for the barn. You just want to get back home. I mean, I love the USA. You can sing all the songs. I love the USA. Born in the USA. Uh, America. God bless America. All those. But as much as I love our country, there are issues. Just turn on cable news. I'll tell you all about it. But not with our heavenly country. No issues. At all. See, it's better. It's better. Qualitatively and quantitatively. In essence, in nature. Better. So it's clear, it's really clear as we, as we look at this, that the patriarch's relationship with God was their primary concern and their commitment, not the obtaining of a secure place of residence here on earth. They died in a state of trust, never having seen their descendants' reception of the land. The true object of their deepest desire, God himself. God himself. He was the object of their deepest desire. They could not see him. They could not see heaven. But they still believed. A lot like us. We never seen Jesus. We never seen heaven. But believers in Jesus are saying, that's where I'm going and that's who I'm believing. Jesus. Jesus said uh, to Thomas, John chapter 20. See, Thomas doubted. Remember that? Thomas doubted. He didn't. Yeah. Unless I am able to put my finger in the hole in his side, in his in the nail holes in his hand, I'm not going to believe. Remember that? And Jesus came up to Thomas. And he had him do those things. And then he said something. He said, because you've seen me, have you believed? Or blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Was he thinking of Abraham? Was he thinking of Isaac? Was he thinking of Jacob? Was he thinking of the disciples that were all around in that room? Blessed are those who did not see but believed. It's interesting, it says that that, uh, they desired a better country. And going right along with that desire, going right along with that, because it was so, so good in God's sight, they were clinging to this amazing comfort that we see in verse 16. It says this, Therefore, this blows you away, by the way. I, I, this, this, this says, God was not ashamed to call, be called their God. Now, I usually think of not being ashamed as us. You know, uh, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Think of not wanting to shrink in shame at his appearing. But here in verse 16, what it says is, They desire a better country, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God, they identified with God, they recognized God, so he identified with them and recognized them. It's mind-boggling. The God of the universe, God Almighty, God, they were clinging to this amazing comfort. They confessed themselves as aliens and strangers, and as they did so, they recognized who their God was, and God recognized them. He was pleased with them. 
He was pleased. Remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? We cannot please God apart from faith. See, God was pleased with them, and so he's not ashamed to be called their God. He declared to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a declaration. God is not ashamed to be called their God, and Jesus is not ashamed to be called their brothers. Look at, verse, uh, look at chapter 2 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. But what would cause God to be ashamed then? Flip it on the other side. What would cause God to be ashamed? It's the exact opposite. Not seeking the heavenly homeland. Seeking other things but the heavenly homeland. That would cause God then to be ashamed of us. If when they're seeking their heavenly homeland, God is not ashamed to be called their God, it stands to reason by inference that he would be ashamed to be called their God if they weren't seeking him and their heavenly ho- their homeland. Remember what Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this generation. God was pleased with them and he prepared a place for them. He has prepared a city, verse 16 says. He prepared a city for them. The city, country, the whole thing going on. Jesus prepares a city, the city of God, the holy city, which will be the home of all the faithful through all the ages. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And the result of the demonstrated faith is God's identification with them, but also his preparation for them. What a comfort to know that in our true heavenly home, there is a place that God has prepared for us. That he is going to be there waiting for us. He has prepared it. Special for those who belong to him. The point for the, uh, the Hebrews was this. Their circumstances were similar to those of the patriarchs. Their experience of persecution highlighted the fact that they were aliens on earth. But you see, they were having trouble seeing beyond their problem and beyond their problems. They were having trouble seeing through the fog of their current crisis to the fulfillment of God's promises for them. His promised rest, their heavenly home. Uh, All they could see were the tough circumstances they were in. It's the same way with us, isn't it? Isn't it the same way with us? It is with me. On a daily basis, I get fixed on the problem and can't see beyond it to a healthy perspective. But see, faith sees a bigger picture. Faith puts smaller things in perspective and focuses on what's really important. You know what the enemy of alienhood is? The enemy of alienhood, you like that word, is prosperity prosperity because when everything's going well for me when i'm prospering i start thinking i'm doing all the right things i start thinking i i did what was necessary to make that happen to have that come about see prosperity it tricks us into thinking that we somehow were very worthy of the good thing that came our way See, the best friend of alienhood 
hardship, trouble. See, things fall apart in every realm of life. It's that fading illusion of permanence that we live with on a daily basis. You buy something, it falls apart. You try to use something, it falls apart. You try to go somewhere, you fall apart. It's a part of the normal Christian life. A normal part of the Christian life. We embrace the promises of God even though we don't see their fulfillment yet. And, and we are like the Hebrews and the patriarchs in that we have not seen Jesus or heaven yet. We're going on the word of another. And life must be lived in light of a better heavenly home that we will experience someday. See, God isn't, isn't ashamed to be identified with people like that. On the flip side, we won't go there. Um, early Christians, they lived like that. In an anonymous 2nd century epistle called the Epistle to Diognetus, the following was said of Christians. They inhabit their own country, but are sojourners. They take part in all things as citizens and endure all things as aliens. Every foreign country is theirs, and every country is foreign. We're called to live like that. Every country is ours. Every country is foreign. Acting like aliens. Active alienhood. We're to be acting like aliens, taking part in all things as citizens and yet enduring all things as aliens. See, we can't be alienated from the world and from God at the same time. The opposite of being a stranger to this world is to be a friend of the world. We can't do both. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. We all know that. Um, go to 1 Peter with me for a moment. 1 Peter opens up some things for us along these lines. 1 Peter 1.17 says, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. It points to our alienhood, our alien nature of our sojourn here on earth. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the perspective God wants us to have in life. When we see ourselves as pilgrims, not the Mayflower pilgrims and all that, but the pilgrims on the way to heaven, our outlook changes so that we see things in a different light. 
And it will be evident in the way that we live that something is different about us. Have you ever had that happen to you where someone says to you, something's different about you? Something's different about your outlook on life. There's something about you that I can't put my finger on, but it's this is different. Our outlook will change. And others will observe in our lives several things. They'll see a commitment to actively growing in Christ. That we will be living a lifestyle of worshiping God. And we will be learning and living God's word and, and seeking God in prayer with expectant hearts. That we'll be trusting in the power and sovereignty of Christ rather than our own abilities. And 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus yet, and you're aware of your need of Him, that you know you've sinned and you're, you're separated from God and you can't get yourself to heaven, you can't even lead your own life here on earth, if you're aware of that, don't let another moment pass by where you don't acknowledge that need to Him and you don't acknowledge Him. Belief that He died for your sins and rose from the dead, a desire for Him to be number one in your life, acknowledge it to Him. Even right this moment, He will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. See, if we're acting like aliens, we'll grow in Christ. We'll be actively growing in Christ. There'll be movement towards Christ on a daily basis. Sure, we'll make mistakes. Sure, we'll sin. Sure, we'll, we'll fail God. But the, the pattern of our life will be going uphill rather than downhill. We'll grow in our love for Him more than our love for the things He gives us. We'll also be displaying godly character. We'll be seeking to live in a manner consistent with the character of God. Things like integrity, faithfulness, compassion, grace, mercy, humility, gentleness, trust, obedience. And we won't have to force it. It'll flow out of us as Jesus flows through us, as his life flows through us. As we abide in Him. We don't have to force that. And we'll become more and more like Jesus because God's at work in our lives. Conforming us to the image of Christ. Second Peter, chapter 1, says this. It says, now for this very reason, apply all diligence. And in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the game plan for an alien is not to get all we can and put it in a can and sit on that can. Uh, the, the game plan for an alien is not to do to someone else before they do to you. Uh, the game plan for an alien is the way of Jesus. Our outlook and our strategy changes us because Jesus changes us. So we'll be actively growing in Christ and we'll be displaying godly character that God produces 
And we'll be connecting in Christ-centered relationships. People will matter to us. One another will matter to us. See, God's promises require an ongoing relationship with him, and that inspires our relationships with other people. See, relationships ground us, and they will either draw us nearer to Jesus or further from him. So we will seek to build one another up in an atmosphere of trust and honesty and accountability. We will engage as groups of believers in prayer and the word and fellowship and, and witnessing. We will give each other love and encouragement and support. See, I'm not a sci-fi fan. Never have been. Don't see it on the horizon. Never was a Trekkie. I'm sorry. I know some of you are really mad at me right now. But I was never into anything like that. But I will say this. Aliens must unite. Aliens must unite. We've got to be together. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repairs, repays one another evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. See, that's... Connecting in Christ-centered relationships. A couple more things. We will also engage in unselfish service. If we're an alien here on earth, we're going to seek to wholeheartedly serve the Lord and others with pure motives. Not for ourselves, but for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the cause. Taking every opportunity to work for the Lord and to do His will. To honor Him. You see, every believer in Jesus is a servant, is a minister, gifted by God, and is to faithfully use the gifts that God gives to build up the body, to do his work. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, show us how. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, it is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. And so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, we're going to invest in what will last when we don't consider earth our final destination. So I want to encourage you, find a place in the body and, and exercise your gifts with all your might. Another thing we're going to be doing as we live as aliens, as we'll be nurturing the family and the family of God. That's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. Imperfectly, which is a comfort to us, but they did nonetheless. See, as they lived as aliens, they were modeling for their families, for their children, for their posterity, for the generations that swept along behind them in a cloud of dust in the, in the wilderness. They were modeling for them what it means to live like an alien, just like every person in here is modeling for someone what it means to live like something. May we model what it means to live like aliens to our family and also the family of God. Invested and concerned with providing for our own. Remember what 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone will not uh, provide for their own, they're worse than an unbeliever. They're denying the faith. That's talking about uh, providing for widows that are in your family. 
But how about providing spiritually and generationally for those that are coming behind us? And finally, if we're living like aliens, others are going to see and realize that we hold to an eternal mindset that affects everything we do. An eternal perspective that informs every thought and word and action and decision because we're looking beyond this world to the next. Beyond the temporal to the eternal. And if it seems like that doesn't fit where you live, it's making the point that we, we got to focus that way. Of course it doesn't fit where we live on a, on a daily basis because we've got to be reminded on a daily basis that our homeland is not here, it's there. And beyond the temporal to the eternal, from the earthly to the... To, to the invisible. What did Paul say? I, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing on towards the goal for the, for the high call of God in Christ Jesus. That's heavenward. See, the patriarchs did not receive the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises, but they waited patiently and they endured. They endured great hardships because they believed God had something better for them. See, there was something more they were waiting for. Look at Hebrews 11.39. Hebrews 11.39 tells us, All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us. There's the better again. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And going into chapter 12, it tells us, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, they were waiting and hoping and, and expecting a promised deliverer, a Messiah, a Savior. Jesus was their ultimate desire. And, and look what Jesus said to the Jews in John 8, 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Jesus said that by faith Abraham saw him. Jesus saw my day and he was glad. And the Hebrews looked to him. May our deepest desire be for Jesus. See, to, believe, to be lived to the fullest, life must be lived in light of eternity. And if not, we're wasting our time. We're missing the boat. We're missing God's best for us. We've got to live in light of eternity. The truth is we are strangers in a strange land. We're all like my grandpa Shara coming to America from Italy. We are immigrants and while we may dress up like the natives and assimilate all too well, sometimes beyond recognition, we are really strangers and exiles and sojourners and immigrants. May it be said of us as it was said of those early Christians. They inhabit their own country, but are sojourners. They take part in all things as citizens. And they endure all things as aliens. Every foreign country is theirs, and every country is foreign. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can come to you today and, and thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. We pray, Lord, that all that was said this morning that ought to be kept will be kept. And all that should fall to the ground will fall to the ground. But we know, Lord, that your word will never return to you void without accomplishing what you desire. So, Lord, we just ask for your will to be done in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.